Hey everyone, it's Ariel Hawani. And I'm Chuck Mendenhall. And I'm Pete Carroll, and together we are Three Pack. Join us on the brand new Spotify Live app immediately after all of the biggest fights in combat sports. And also during the weigh-ins, because that's when the real drama happens. So what are you waiting for? Follow the Ring MMA show right now on our exclusive Spotify podcast feed. And come join the best community in MMA. Peace! We're out of here. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive that sets the pace and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that throws you one moment and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Peter Rosenberg! Shout out to that guy, Oh my goodness. It's professional wrestling. Stay mage and enjoy yourself. Mage. There's something going on a thousand percent Fridays. That's the extended name. Uh, and we have a hell of a program today. Uh, going to be joined by the great, and I'll, I'm going to say the great now after talking to him, the great Karrion Cross. We're going to have a hell of a conversation. Um, but before that, we're going to hear from Dipperstein. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're, this week we'll hear from. this Tonight we'll hear from. <laughs> tonight Today. we'll hear from. Next week we'll hear from. Right, today, well, you know what I'm going to say? Let me, let, me, let me say it again. Right now we'll hear from right now we'll hear from Dipperstein. And later on in the show, we'll hear from Carrie and Cross. Yeah, we're you're hearing tons of things. Yeah, there's so many things to hear. So um bonus time with Dipperstein, which everyone's excited about. Who doesn't want this? Especially because they've been getting less time with you. So we were just talking about something very important. Uh, and that is Dip's travel plans to New York next week because I asked him uh where he's flying from because the the southern res the summer residence where natalie and i will be next week is very close to one airport and i asked where he's gonna be and, and he doesn't know so i was just pointing out to troy the goy that dipperstein has he, he travels in a way that you would never think someone of his personality type does it's it's very loose very open-ended. I don't know what day I'm leaving, what day I'm coming, what airport, where I'm going. I might go here. I might go there. Yeah. I'm taking it all. My, my whole, my life is very day-to-day -day right now. 
um, <laughs> minute to minute. But I, you know, look what what the what the hell's the difference? You know, Newark, uh, JFK, Laguardia. I, I just you oh, know, there's just to, oh, quote, there's to quote to quote the great comedian Jerry Seinfeld. Just take me to where it says on the ticket. <laughs> and and by the way, that he's correct. You know, and particularly in some places, but in New York, listen, JFK and Laguardia. Very few places is it a huge that you're going to be. Is it going to be a huge difference between JFK and Laguardia? I know the, 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 JFK the and Newark lines. and Laguardia and Newark. Now those are two very different situations. Let me let me just say, okay, that's a that's a a, a social norm and a comment, something that I don't subscribe to. Okay, which is what? Oh god, oh, oh LAX is the worst. He throws the worst. Oh Chicago O'Hare, oh, it's the there's nothing worse than Chicago O'Hare. Oh the Philly Airport, you ever been there? It's the worst. Let me tell you something. They're all the worst. No, okay? that's not fa- that, but that this is this is patently false because you live near a place that's tremendous if you can get a flight. What? It's tremendous what? Burbank is wonderful. Wonderful. Nothing like LA. Well, this is that's a private airport. It's like it's like private airport is owned. Like I don't you know what I mean? I'm talking about big commercial places. Okay. Yes, the big airports are bad, but the traffic at JFK is worse than the traffic at Newark. You cannot go to JFK essentially without traffic after 7 a.m. It's just the way it is. LAX the other day when I was leaving LA, I hear what you're saying, by the way. Yes, they're all bad. But JFK and LAX are especially nightmarish. You have to be honest. I just don't even I, – I, I don't even understand the whole makeup and concept of an airport why do why does one I mean I, someone could I guess explain it I mean maybe we we need to get an airport an, an airport, an airport expert an airport expert on the show at some point maybe Zach why Linder. am I flying at a why am I landing at f26 and the baggage is in the the B terminal or why is like you know why does the plane land in one Fakakta place and then the bags or your gate or whatever is at a completely different area of the air I just don't I know I don't it, it feels like to me that somebody wakes up in the morning at 5 a.m., mushmashes around the pl- a bunch of plans, and then just puts it on, on, the, on the internet. I, I just don't understand how it all works. I don't understand where the, they get the prices in these places. I, the, you know, $6 for a bottle of water, you know. Uh, uh, it's because it's, it's you're trapped. When you're in the airport, if you want water, there's nowhere else to go, so it's $6. Yeah, uh, you know, it's uh, $4 for a Quest bar. It's crazy. It's all one big By the way, scam. That's a, that, I got to tell you, okay. if you found if you found a four dollar Quest bar at the airport, the the bargain of the millennium. You buy really? What are you paying? Oh, buy, six? Oh, at least buy buy the box if you get. If you see if you see a four dollar Quest bar, I want you to buy it. I do very untypical things. I do with travel. I'm, I am flippant about it. I do go to the airport and buy uh, beef jerky. For the plane. For some reason, it's the only place on earth I eat beef jerky. Wow. Yeah. Well, I know. I mean, it's low carb. I know what you're doing. It's low carb, but like, I feel like I, I'm, I, I get the whole bag. I eat the whole thing before I even get on the plane. <laughs> I've, I've done it. I've done it. I know. You'd never do it otherwise. It's hard. Because no, then it be smells on the plane. There's two things you can't eat on a plane. Beef jerky and tuna sandwiches. And by the way, uh, another thing that makes Dip odd about that, compl- this goes with his personality even less than how flippant he is. Um, he also doesn't care about first class, which right. by the way, if you were to listen to my other podcast right now, which is on fire, one up his life, Seif and I are in a zone right now. We're obsessed with all we talk about is first class. All we talk about is the plan. How, how are you doing that? What points are you using? 
How many miles do you have? How do you get the upgrade? Because to me, coaches, the the difference in experience is so strong, and yet you find it all to be equally bad. I find unless somebody is flying me, like I'm being flown by a production or I'm being flown by it's a free flight. I I'll sit coach. I don't I don't care. I'm but that's a small that's different. That, that's out of cheapness, though. That's not out of. That's not saying it's not better. It, it's mainly out of cheapness. Right. The, okay. the cost well, of it does not equate to the luxury. Is it's my prohi- it's is, prohibitively expensive. Yes. That's my mentality. Were the seats a little bigger? The leg room's a little. Mo- I don't have problems with the seats. I, I'm, I'm a small person. But you're always doing LA to New York, where the size of the seat and the ability to lay down and have like a real meal. It adds up. But here's my thing. I'm so worried about the turbulence and avoiding turbulence that the, oh. the the quality of the seat, the laying back, I can't be laying back with turbulence. I'm st- gripping the sides of, of the seat and I'm looking out the window during the turbulence. You're like a cat. So here's You're a, like a, a paranoid dog during a spend, thunderstorm. If I were to spend $1,600 on a flight from New York to LA to fly first class, okay, and the flight was full of turbulence, waste of money. Right, I, I hear you. You're you're literally the equivalent of a dog in a thunderstorm. I whereas I on a plane, I you know what I you know what happens to me with turbulence? I wake up and I go, I think I remember like turbulence in the middle of the night. Don't even remember. I don't even know that happened. The craziest thing to me is when there's extreme turbulence on an airplane and you look around and no one's reacting but you. No one's thinking about it. I, me, I'm, 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 I'm like, that's now me. I'm now in that category. It was I'm gonna explain it to you again as it was explained to me because it changed my life. No plane in history has dropped out of the sky from turbulence. It doesn't happen. The dangerous part is takeoff and landing. Once you're up, it can rattle. It can shake, rattle, and roll like the honky-tonk man. Um, But it's not going to fall out of the sky. Now that I know that, now that I know that turbulence does not knock planes down, uh, what's the, yeah, it sucks. It's uh, nauseating a little bit. But that doesn't help you to know that. You can't believe it. You can't trick your brain. I, I gotta I gotta be honest, there is no more uncomfortable moment in my life than a lot of turbulence. It's the most uncomfortable that I personally feel in any situation. And that you say that? that as someone who's often uncomfortable. No, you know me. I'm, I'm amazing in situations. I can I can walk into any room. I, but. <laughs> I don't, I'm, mean, I don't mean presenting. I mean like having to wait online, having to wait for a table, long walk from the car to the restaurant, this to that, that to this. Oh, none of it's comfortable. What are you talking about? No, I'm just saying like physically uncomfortable. The most oh, physically uncomfortable. Oh, the physically uncomfortable. By the way, that could be your new name. The physically uncomfortable? The, the, <laughs> there's, there's, I mean, I would say if I drinking whole milk, and experiencing turbulence are the two most <laughs> uncomfortable feelings of the, in the Dipperstein life. So uh, let's – I wanted to briefly say we're going to do some mailbag real quick before we uh, talk to Carrie and Cross in just a few minutes. But uh, uh, one of the I, – I did, I did really enjoy Ricky Stark, uh, his promo with MJF. And I know the guys talked about it on the Mass Man show. Um, if you have or have not heard that, but I just got to say – Ricky Starks had his biggest moment sharing the ring with the champ with a chance to get over and a a tough spot against a heel who everyone's cheering for. And Dip, he was so good. The crowd was cheering Starks and booing MJF. He he killed it. I read about it, and the reason why I haven't watched it yet is because I really want to take some time with it. 
um, and and probably tomorrow morning on a Saturday morning. Uh, um, enjoy only, and luxuriate in it. The only moment of peace I have, I'm going to uh, I'm going to watch it and I'm going to uh, in a, in a, my luxurious home. I do and I, enjoy this, it. You will love it. It was he killed it. Um, it made me very I, you know excited how I feel about Ricky Starks. I know, and you already love him, so it's 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 very very exciting. No, it's it's a cool thing. Wait, wait, uh, Max called him the pebble. Yeah. <laughs> Max called him the pebble, said he's going to put him in his pocket, and then we'll skip him across the lake. <laughs> I love that. It was it was great. The whole God, it, it I was, mean, MJF, man. I, I got, like, it's just, there's something going on constantly. Yeah. There's something, there's constantly, there's, there has been something going on constantly for a few years. And, and in this case, I feel like I've, I don't always get it back from the other person. Sometimes he's so good that he's up with someone else. So I'm like, oh, I, they can't hang. They're just, there's nothing. They're trying. They're there. But like, there's no there there. With Ricky Starks, they're, they're maybe there there. They're maybe I, I know. I totally there. agree with you. The The roster over there is full of stars. It, it I know. Is. But they, the people that seems like that they use for the, a lot of these spots, I end up being like, eh, this, this, the time to develop someone. And he, he feels, he feels ready. He's ready. Um, no, he's ready. Oh, no, right. big ready vibes. All right, hold on. Mail. I, I want to give a shout out to uh, Andrew Toban, who said when the shirt of the cinch got sample snitched on, I figured I would crack at designing something. As a, as a Chicago Jew, I've never had temp tea before, but remembered how you all evangelized it when I went to make a design. Um. Not sure if this is a t-shirt design, maybe a sticker or something. Anyways, he sent us Cheap Heat as the Temp T logo. What? It's pretty major. I, I don't think it's a shirt, but I think he's right. It's a sticker. Or frankly, it's the cream cheese. <laughs> we just rip we just rip them off and make it the cream cheese. Can I cheese. see? Can you text it to me, please? Yeah, hold on. I'm going to. Uh, which email do you want to do your work? Can I email to you? Yeah, send it to uh, Gmail. Uh, all right. Oh, no. Oh, no. I only have ICM partners. You can send it to that, too. Okay. Um, take a look at it. It is waiting for you now. All right. Sh- shout out to him, though. Great job. As we proceed. Mail. I know there was I, a Hold one. on. Before you read, um, I, I've seen this uh, new um, runner, this new rug appear in the a few uh, pieces of social media. Um, and I can't wait to see it. Wait, uh, this, this, uh, this oh, new rug in the home. You mean the it's it's what what's it called? What are those little short rugs called? A runner. Oh, yeah, the runner. You're excited about the runner. Yeah, oh yeah, of course. Natalie's doing anything a great new in job. your life is exciting to me. Oh, it's very sweet of you. Uh, Natalie is doing a fantastic job. Um, is is she changing the whole plan? It's it's slowly changing and changing. She's not taking down the WrestleMania three poster though, right? Oh, she loves it. No, she absolutely loves that. Um, Does she understand what that is? Oh, yeah. it's the high. It's the highest level. Yeah, Does, item on her. Does she understand that we have the we have the Sam Evans? She bought me the Sam Evans tag team thing and framed it. And it's in our dining room. She's. I mean, yeah. I, I haven't. By the way, I haven't seen. That. I haven't been there in ages. Oh, yeah. Well, so I don't know if you'll be there then. It depends what day you come to the city. We'll figure that off the air. Uh, I don't remember. Were you on with me and SGG the day we got into the huge conversation? about undershirts you were right no you were not there do you hear about it yeah i heard it oh you heard it later 
Yeah, and Listen, I was I, I was saying to myself in my car, I wish I was there for this. <laughs> Brian writes us, Dear Sweet Pete, Irwin R. Dipperstein, and the undershirt taker. <laughs> First of all, was I just was I just called a shyster? That's right. But I, the undershirt taker is major. And by the way, SUG may be the same height as the undertaker. Very close. Uh, he says, uh, Brian says, long time. By the way, he's a Brian with a Y also, like you. Wow. Welcome long to Hollywood. Long time peckerhead here with a life. And like you, I'm often wondering how Roman's title reign will end. Of course, it could be the often speculated Cody return or Hollywood Rock who takes him down. However, what doesn't get talked about enough is that Triple H is not Vince and has different ideas about who could be the next big star. We've seen Trips start to forge a different path. In a, in a few short months. And instead of the scenarios we're all aware of, I hope he will use Roman to cement a new main eventer. Even if it's not at Mania, at some point, the King of Kings is going to have to be a king maker and handpick the next big star to eventually replace Roman. I'm curious to hear who each of you think that will be. Whenever it happens, one thing is for sure, it will be something. Take it easy, man. Enjoy yourself and stay mage. Brian from Wayne. Good call. And by the way, it would be, as as excited as I am about everything that's speculated, I would also pop if he went a completely different direction. I'll tell you what, it's not going to be now probably, but the guy we're talking to in a couple minutes, he could be someone who who I really think gets tapped at some point, Karen Cross. You and I both know I am a gigantic fan of Karen Cross. And so um I think going into this next generation of stars you're talking about somebody who could emerge as the as a great monster heel in the way that Bray Wyatt did, or you know, I don't know. I, I honestly I can't even think of a of a of another standout heel in the last five years than Bray Wyatt. Um, he could be that guy. He's that I think, guy. I think so too. Um, all right, uh, well, let's we got to hurry up here. One quick uh, duvet mail. Uh, Jason sends us this longtime listener, Cheap Heat, back to the initial Shoemaker days. After hearing Dip's take on duvet covers this week, I knew I'd have to share a hack that when I discovered it was a game changer. It's called the roll technique. Basically, you lay the duvet cover on the ground inside out and put, put the insert on top of the duvet and simply roll the two up and it flips right out in a matter of a minute. Here's a link of a video. Don't give up on the duvets. Happy holidays and stay mage and enjoy yourself. A lot of pushback on the duvet problems. There's uh, a lot of people with a lot of different solutions. And let me tell you what this proves. My point in that everyone's looking for their own way to figure this out. And no, there's no just simple way to do this. You're, I mean, you're, you're right. When you're right, you're so, right. So, you know, I, I'm talking the whole duvet industry. I'm I'm putting them on notice. Oh, the duvet the industry is on locker notice. Room. The duvet locker room is on notice. We know I'm how it feels. I'm putting the duvet locker room on notice. Oh, this is awesome. Thank you to Rob for sending along this clip that I meant to put in from Ricky Starks last night or Wednesday. Everything about you screams cheap. The cheap suits, the cheap shoes, the cheap heat. Oh, my God. Major. I wondered if there was any possible world in which Ricky Starks is such a nerd that that was actually a sneaky reference to the podcast. It's not. You couldn't put it past him. You couldn't put it past him, could you? No. He and could. I would, uh, yeah. 
Well, there's a few ways that could have happened. There's a few ways that could have happened. That was very mage. I um, really... Can you pull that cheap heat? Pull that out? Of course we're going to. Sure no, right. boy. All right, last one. Uh, duvet mania. <laughs> Male. Gentlemen, long time, first time to quote the great Ken Beatrice. Wow, Ken Beatrice. I grew up listening to him in D.C. The duvet discussion was right on point. How did such a great idea turn out so poorly in execution? Duvets are supposed to be like make life easier, and they have the opposite effect. They never fit properly. They always bunch up and shift, and yet they are made to the exact specifications of the comforter slash quilt. I give up. And SGG, the king-size bed is calling you. It's a game changer. We all agree that Sammy Roman makes sense for Elimination Chamber, but how do we get there? Does Sammy win the Rumble and ask Roman to do the title match at Chamber of Montreal instead of Mania? Sounds far-fetched. I agree. But what if Sammy comes in second in the Rumble and asks Roman for a match at the Chamber as a result? Roman ultimately says yes and treats it as a way to put Sammy in his place and assert further dominance over the bloodline. And along the way, the Usos are aggravated that Sammy would even ask for the match. At Chamber, Sammy takes Roman to the limit with near falls that are a whisker away. Finally, Jimmy and or Jay interfere to secure the win for Roman. After the match, Sammy and the Usos are in each other's faces, really heated and ready to explode. Roman is watching from the corner, and eventually the Usos uh, give the Usos the head nod, and they unload on Sammy, beating him senseless. Then Owens makes the save and sets up the tag match for Mania. This frees up Roman for Rock and or Cody, and Sammy and Roman can be re revisited later. Just an idea. More importantly, who do I Venmo to get my Dip is Made shirt? We the people need this. And Peter, congrats on all your success. As a lifelong DMVer, I remember the whole WJFK brouhaha, and you just kept grinding and working and deserve all your success. Happy holidays, Chris from Maryland. Thanks, Chris. First of all, I forgot to even send Dip the shirt that we were sent, the, the Dip is Made shirt. I saw it. It was DM to me. Okay. It's pretty made, right? Yeah. I also got DM'd a... Uh, a the, uh and there was a lot to unpack in that email, by the way. A mage, mage uh, piece of writing um, <laughs> by that email, by the guy who wrote that. Okay. Um, but I was sent a really nice uh, clip from a, uh, a podcast called No Dunks. Or you know okay. about this podcast? Huh? No, no, no. They were uh, saying nice things about us on this podcast. This big, they big did? football podcast or this big basketball podcast. No, we may dunks. have to play that uh, next week. But. Oh, um, yeah. But anyway, what, what what do I? I have so many things to answer in that. Quite, I mean, the duvet thing. I mean, he's right on point. I mean, it's a, it's really a, it's a disgrace. What what was next? Um, what his ideas? How how do we get to to the, the how Sammy we get to thing? Sammy and Roman? Yeah. Um. Look, I think oh, wow. Cody no dunks, Rose is no dunks the is a big Rumble. podcast. It's the athletics basketball podcast. I'm scared. I'm sorry. No Dunks is the Athletics Basketball Podcast. Yeah. I don't I don't listen to any basketball podcasts, and maybe I'll check out No Dunks if they said nice things about us. You know They're how I feel. Nice things. They're there's saying nothing, nice things. There's nothing more important to me than you liking me. Go ahead. As no, for I was the Sammy say, I, you know, I, I haven't really, like, really thought about what... I, I'm, I'm still enjoying the Bloodline thing. I think Cody Rhodes is going to win the Royal Rumble um, and face Roman at WrestleMania, um, as we know. I think that Sami Zayn, I think at a certain point, KO does pull him away from them in some capacity. And Sami maybe costs Roman something or costs the Usos their tag titles. And then 
it's the, the you know the the devolution of of the the devolution, yeah, uh, of of the faction begins, and then eventually you get Sammy as a monster babyface with. But KO you have to have the, at some point you're getting Sammy and Ko coming together in Montreal to Chamber. They have to come together in Montreal. What what, what which pay per views in Montreal? Chamber. And that's when February. All right. All right. Maybe we have the whole bloodline together. Through Romania. It's coming up, by the way. It's in two months. No, no, no. What I'm saying is Sammy's going to be done with the bloodline by February and be with KO. Right. I think, I mean, I think. Oh, wait, February. What am I thinking? I'm thinking thinking Royal Rumble. Sorry. Oh, oh, you're thinking of the Rumble's mania. You know, you're very, you have a lot going on out there. I know. There's something going on. (laughs) Um, Okay. And speaking of which, uh, Troy the Goy's yelling at me. We got to get to Karrion Cross right now. He's waiting. He's scary. He's dangerous. You know what I'm saying? He's falling and praying. That we that that you guys start soon, Troy. He's, he's praying and praying and praying. Uh, Dip, thank you for making time for us. We all are grateful um, when you're able to do this. Uh, we'll hear from you next week, and right now we'll hear from the great Kerryon Cross. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you. You should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and one. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans at Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. There's something going on. Uh, Friday edition of Cheap Heat. Back-to-back bangers. Banger after banger after banger, as they say. Um, and this week, uh, happy to have Karrion Cross with me on Cheap Heat. Karrion, how are you, dude? Bien, sir. Como se va? Bien, bien, bien. Wait, wait, wait. Did you just go French? Italian? Where did you just go? I did French, but bien works. Yeah. It, works. Bien, it works either way, right? Um yes. Where where are you? Where are you as we speak? You at home? I'm in the Batcave. 
Ah, the Carrion Cave. Um, it's a pleasure to get to chat with you, man. I've only seen you at shows once or twice, obviously. How when 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 did you first how far removed are we from your initial um joining of the quote main roster on Raw? I want to say it was it was actually uh on my birthday, July 19th of 2021. July 19th, 2021. <laughs> By the way, I'm July 23rd, almost birthday brothers, no big deal. Um but let, let's start there because that was a super interesting time. Um, you showed up. You're a different version of you, not the killer cross everyone expected. Um, what were your initial thoughts before we even get into where it went? Of course, because I think your story is turning out to be an amazing one. Uh, what were, what was just your what were your initial thoughts when you came on TV? It was mixed. Um, you know here's part of the story that I don't talk about too much to give you something fresh here. Cause we're, we're far removed from it. And I feel like me personally, it's okay to talk about it, but um, you know, like all of us living through the uh, pandemic, um, I had a lot of family that was laid off because of lockdowns and stuff like that. And as a son, as a nephew, as a grandson uh, working for WWE provided me with an excellent opportunity to actually take care of everything for my family. Like, as that person in my family, being able to give back, you know, these are the people that raised you. They changed your diapers. They fed you the, you know, your whole life. Um, I just, the timing of it all worked out really well. So with the opportunity to go up to main roster and make even more money um, to secure everybody, I was really I have to be honest, I was thinking more about that more than anything. Of course, you want to be on main roster. You want to be in front of a bigger house. And holy cow, we're doing shows with full houses now again. All that was very exciting. But at the time, I was really very focused and set on just landing myself in a position where I can further secure everyone across the boards until they're back to work. Because we didn't know when that was really going to be. And, uh, some of them had to get other jobs and stuff like that. This is just real-life stuff I'm talking about, to be frank with you. So. Um, aside from all of that, you know, sometimes, um, at the highest level we're we're given ideas from other people that we're, we're not very crazy about. Um, but you know, uh, we signed the contract and we know what we're getting into and we do our absolute best to try to get those ideas over. Um, I say this as respectfully as I can, those weren't my ideas. I'm sure you guys can tell. Um, and so I just tried to do the best I could with it, but, um, uh, and again, I say respectfully, I don't think I was met with the same sort of level of enthusiasm um, from the other side to improve in the idea um, and the lack of continuity between what we did on NXT and the main roster really threw people off. Like, I honestly think <clears throat> the gimmick and idea that they gave me may have worked for other people uh, had the world not seen me doing what I was doing. They wanted the extension of what we were giving them during maybe some of the darkest times any of us have lived through yep. uh, to be seen in the transition of Maine. Um, and they didn't get that. So every time I was on screen, whether the outfit was goofy or not, or whether the scarf was missing or not, it just removed people from what they were watching because they had all these questions that weren't being answered. To me. Yep. So I was frustrated, you know, but I, the professional in me was really trying to do the most I absolutely could with it. 
Uh, obviously, I, I w- one day hopefully I'll talk to her and you can get her version of it. And I know you don't want to overspeak for your wife, but how did she deal with not being there all of a sudden as part of what you were doing? She was incredibly upset because uh, it was expressed to her that they had absolute total interest in bringing her up. Um, and it was expressed to her that, you know, we were going to be going up together for multiple branches of management. So um, she, you know, was very upset, but her and I are very solution-based people. And we try not to like avoid the realities of situations, but we acknowledge them. And then we try to do the best we can with what we have. And so we are just kind of gritting our teeth, like, Hey, this is just for now. It's not forever. Let's bring our best foot forward, bring our best energy into this. And let's try to kill this and do this better than anyone else can. That's kind of how we, like when we were in the thick of it, we were just trying to, you know, do that. Um, and so we weren't like, we didn't feel defeated or run over. And, you know, when we got our calls, we kind of approached it the same way. Like, all right, this is what's happened. Let's just accept it. Let's move forward. What can we do literally right now to improve the situation? And then the situation would get worse <laughs> before it would get better. Yes. And you and you guys would find yourself without a job. How did you how did you manage to keep it together then? Because man, you guys had every temptation, I imagine. Um, and I can relate to this on some level because nobody cared, but like there was a time when I stopped working with WWE and I felt sad and I felt angry and I had people around me being like, be cool, be cool. Life is long. It's cool. You guys though, the whole internet was talking about you, validating you, telling you they didn't know what to do with you. You could do this. You could do that. I'm sure the phone rang from Tony Khan. How did you manage to stay so cool and have the vision that things would eventually play out the way they did? Well, uh, that's a great question. Uh, This is going to sound crazy, but it wasn't hard, like at all. It wasn't hard. Our phones and emails blew up literally within the 30 minutes that the information was released on the internet with work. And we were booked out on the day that we were released. We were booked out all the way actually into November of this year. We had all of our bookings. And then we were still getting conventions and Uh, different offers from other revenue streams outside of wrestling and stuff like that. So monetarily, we knew that we were going to be okay. Um, But on the other end of it, we were, we didn't really like sit in it and stew in it, but we were devastated that we were released because we thought we were better than that. And I'm not saying that from a pretentious or an egocentric point. We just felt like we had more to offer. There was so many things left undone. Um, we wanted to pay off things that the fans wanted to see. And, um, but again, it was just a situation we felt like, well, they made this decision against our will and it's out of our control and we can't be there because we're, you know, obviously not wanted there. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was mixed. And also, and I've, I've been on the record to say this before, I was relieved to be finished with what they were having me do because that version. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't working. I could hear it in live reactions. I could feel it online. Um, I've run into people at the airports and the gym and restaurants and uh, at a coffee shop. And they'd be like, when are they going to put you guys back together and give us 
what we really wanted. And it was just so abundantly clear, like this is an excellent opportunity to just listen to the fans. They're telling you what they want. But that, but that's what makes what you guys did so cool because it's very hard these days. People really struggle, especially when you're in a spot like that where you just feel wronged, to not respond like boldly and loudly to all of those you know, comments from fans because they're making you feel good and they're telling you things that are that may be true, but people can fall for the trap and you start retweeting nasty things about the company and before you know it, you're burning bridges for no reason. Sure. I, it, that part was easy for me not to do because I had, seriously, I really had such an incredible time actually being there. I had a wonky three months before, I, you know, we were released. But to be honest with you, I kept in touch with almost everybody once I was out. Um, I grew a bond, not only with like WWE fans, but like I grew a bond with people I worked with, not being able to see my family for years and only being able to see them week to week. This is the stuff we don't talk about. So I didn't let a weird falling out or a weird three months completely corrupt my vision and experience of the company because honestly, it was it was excellent. And I got the dream run in NXT that some people who have 20 year careers will never get near. They gave me essentially two undefeated streaks. Yeah. They had me crush everybody completely clean as a field. <laughs> um, and I was only pinned one time in NXT. And so, and then honestly, I know that the main roster run was not what we wanted, but I think I was only maybe pinned twice or three times out of like 12 matches that we did up there. So I know the wins and losses they say don't matter, but like there was an effort here to put me on course to be successful. And I, I just never lost sight of that. And, all the coaches and um, and all the people, I just um, they kind of remained in my life, not as frequent as they were when I was with the company. But I didn't really feel like I lost anything other than the opportunity to be in front of the fans, which is a huge blow. But like everybody that was there with me with the company was still there with me when I was gone, so I didn't feel like I was just totally shafted and abandoned. So, so you mentioned the wins and losses. One loss that we discussed on the podcast a lot, and people really got after me about it uh, was, uh, I believe it was Jeff Hardy. And people were like, that's it. He's dead. He lost to Jeff Hardy. And now listen, I could be dead wrong and you could tell me to my face, I'm dead wrong. I'm good with it. I responded, hey, Jeff Hardy's Jeff Hardy, first of all. Second of all, the way the pin was executed was such that it looked like a complete fluke. It's not like you got, the character was completely destroyed by Jeff Hardy. Um, and I was like, and frankly, this kid just got up here. He's probably excited to be working matches with Jeff Hardy, not breaking things in the locker room that he lost. I, I don't understand why we're discussing this, but I was crushed for that. A lot of people felt that was the end of the world. I thought it was going to be the beginning of a story. Now, of course it turned out to not really be, but what were your initial thoughts about that specific moment? I was concerned that, uh, Management from NXT was going to <laughs> hang me up like a pinata and beat me to death <laughs> for, for going up to Maine and doing what they asked me. So I called them and I said, hey, this is what I'm being asked to do today. I don't understand chains of command and all that. Are you guys okay with this? And I'm like, absolutely. They'll make the best of it. Don't worry about it. Um, blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, cool. So I, I went into this situation, just sort of trusted the process. Um, and... When I was a little kid, I, I bought all the Hardy Boy shirts. Um, I think I, I worked Matt in a, in a feud on the Indies in a program that, that 
went over a couple shows. I think our last match ended in like a steel cage with a ladder. Oh, wow. And uh, I, yeah, I had a fractured tibia at the time and that took care of me in that match. No one even knew. Um, I think he did, he pulled my shoe off and, and shoot almost bit my toes off. <laughs> I was like, it was a mix screaming, screaming and almost like laughing at the same time. Like, like, Oh my God, Matt, like you actually really, actually really actually bit my foot. Like you bit it really, like really hard. I'm trying not to swear, but uh, I had a relationship with Matt. I knew Jeff was going to be cool. And he was Jeff and I became friends to the whole process. And um, I knew that's definitely not what fans wanted to see. On the other hand, I'm always I'm always thinking this, by the way, what I'm about to say. If I'm working as a heel, my main job is to make sure the audience stays behind my baby face. Always. So that, well, that is your job. That is the job. Yes. So all of the things that people say all the time that they don't like that I'm doing or I'm not doing enough of or they want to see me do this, there's a deliberate reason why I'm not doing it. I'm fully aware of that. And I know that frustrates some people, but like, I'm a very traditional old school type person in my approach to things. And if I'm going to be a bad guy, I'm going to be the bad guy. I'm not going to be a halfway bad guy or the cool bad guy that screws my baby face over in the match where he can't get reaction to pops. I'm going to sacrifice my own reactions to pops to make sure that my baby face looks like the man. And that's how I've always approached it. And I know I get criticized and ridiculed for that, but this is the functionality of my job. There's a black hat and a white hat. So <laughs> with the Jeff thing, I heard them react and I was like, hey, I did my job. And it was arguably disadvantageous to me. Like it wasn't wasn't good for me, is what I'm trying to say. But uh that's how I approached it. I looked at this as work that night. And you didn't you, also, you didn't scream, you didn't scream when you got back to the locker room that you couldn't believe you lost. No, I had a, I got a lot of people coming up to me shaking hands for doing that, actually. People I won't drop names, but like people that are many, many years deep in saying, like, this guy gets it, like. It's not a one-man show. It's not about me. He's not coming up here making crazy demands. I got a lot of respect, actually, for my peers um, wow. over doing that. And to me, I would have done that really with anybody because, as I said, with the run that I got in NXT, I never politics, never buried anybody. They put me on course to be a star. And this one thing that they're asking me to do <laughs> is, is nothing. It's yeah, no yeah, problem. Right. What kind of dude would you be if, if when you finally have to do something hard, like one of the things that's part of the job, you're like, no, 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 caring. Killer Cross doesn't do that. No, you handled <laughs> it the right way. Like that's there. There are legends in that locker room like you. Now, you talked about the baby face and, and protecting the good guy. Uh, well, that should be easy with where you're going right now, it seems, because you've called out Rey Mysterio. Uh, I know you did Lucha Underground. You've done a lot of Lucha stuff. How psyched are you about what looks like a, a, to be a program with Rey Mysterio? Over the moon. Over the moon. So there were like, there was like three luchadors that I had on my list. Four, actually, for many years. A lot of people don't know, but I spent um, half of my career in Mexico in Lucha Libre. I was in uh, AAA working in major cities, major television programs. Oh, wow, you were in AAA for like three, four years, huh? Yes. Wow. So I'm a very big Lucha Libre fan. I understand that I speak the language. And um, it was uh, Dr. Wagner wanted to work with Pentagon, Phoenix, and I wanted to work with Ray. And getting Ray, checking that name off the list for all these years has been very difficult. And it seems like it's going to happen right now. I remember the first time I actually saw Ray was against Hoovy and ECW. 
I want to say 96, but I have a terrible memory. It could have been okay. before that. Well, it has to be around then. Okay. Yes. Remember the power bomb on the car outside? Like, yes. It was, it was unbelievable. It was like hardcore Lucha Libre. So um, I'm very excited about this. I'm, I'm getting ready to give people something unique and interesting to Ray's total overall story arc that they haven't seen yet before. I'm going to get into some really interesting things that permitted to, and I think I will be. I think we're collaboratively and creatively ready to embrace that process. And so far it's been that way since I've gotten back and I've been very, very happy. Uh, what can you say about uh, Drew McIntyre? Cool that you guys had a story together considering, I mean, listen, no one knows about an exile and return more than Drew. His his being much more dramatic and long-term than, than you and Scarlett. Um, but what, what were you able to learn from Drew and, and what's he like to work with? Drew was, uh, one of the first people who actually called me when I got released. Um, and we had a, uh, we had a conversation and, um, he had basically told me, he was like, I know how good you are. You know how good you are. The fans know how good you are. Go out there and shove this up their ass and make them call you back. That's what he told me on the phone. And so the irony of that, no one even knowing that, I never told anyone that until now, I think. Uh, coming back and him walking up onto the bus, they were hiding us in. I gave him a big hug. I was just like, here we are. We just laughed, you know? He was like, that was quick. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, working with him, I mean, I would work with Drew McIntyre seven days a week. He has such an excellent ear for the audience, live when we're out there, just as a worker. He can feel where the crowd's going before they're even there. I don't know if that's going to translate to people who don't wrestle, but um, he just, he understands his audience. Um, he's one of the hardest working people I've ever met. And I would probably say one of the toughest too. I think you could probably hit him or Seamus with anything and they'd still be alive, like a car or like an asteroid. <laughs> so, um, it's been a blast. And I will tell you, and for any fans listening, that story is not done. You just have to wait and see how it plays out. Okay. All right. I, I love to hear that. I love, listen, on this show, I tell you one thing we love is long-term storytelling. Uh, it's one of the things that's made, of course, this bloodline thing just so compelling. Uh, what is it like? You've had it. You've brushed up against them um, a little bit here and there. Um, can you immediately feel the energy of of just how, kind of how big that thing is by being around it? It feels as big as the NWO when I was little watching on TV. Not not the same energy, but it feels like as big, or sometimes even bigger, um, with the way that they're able to maestro the audience through stuff. Uh, some people love them. Some people hate them, and then some people love to hate them. And some people actually hate the fact that they love them. <laughs> right, right, right. Like it is, this is a, a very special nuclear type thing that you cannot just uh, create. Like you could not just create a course to take a bunch of people and have the audience react to them like this. This is about putting, I know people feel like the bloodline is a newly, you know, re relatively new thing. Each person, um, with the exception of Solo, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but each person has been in the company for so many years. Oh yeah, this is this is a lot of time put in to have these members, you know, in the group and whatnot. Solo being related to them and the tear they're putting him on right now, right? 
It's all this equity. Is, it all leads. It's all equity. You got it. That's exactly where I was going with it. It's it's an incredible thing, and it's very fun to watch live too. A lot of us are backstage at the monitor. We usually stop what we're doing and start cracking up at the stuff that they're doing out there. So it's a very cool thing. I'm glad fans are enjoying it. Who's uh? No, before I ask you who's on your hit list that you'd really like to work with, but we have, we have a few minutes left. I want to go back uh, to the beginning. You really did work the indie circuit in a in a big old school way. Um, you are not, you know, there 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 are now always going to be these different kinds of stories in WWE superstars, the people who really went old school wrestling style, and the people who are talented athletes who now came in and were trained to become wrestlers. You went, you know, all over the place learning this business how did you first what was your first foray into the wrestling business and how old were you when i say 2014 i may have been 28 or 27 um and it was in las vegas it was at future stars of wrestling academy uh michael Monist was teaching there disco inferno uh sin Bodie was teaching there and then these two guys never get mentioned but they should. It was a tag team of the Indies called Remy Marcel and Jack Manley. And they were top students from the New Japan Dojo out of LA. So when I walked into that school, I had people who had worked globally. I had people who worked television on six-figure contracts. And then I had sort of a new hybrid style of wrestling that was very modern and very present there as well. So I got to learn many different directions of all that stuff. And then those guys had worked Lucha Libre as well. The Remy Marcel and Jack Manley. So they were able to translate how to become a good base for me personally. I'm not much of a flyer, um, but I'm a very good base for all that stuff. I understand it. I can read it. I can see where it's going, where it's, where it's gotta, where it's gotta be all that stuff. So that was kind of my upbringing. Um, and I spent a lot of time, people hate this, but I spent a lot of time with Disco Inferno because while he's not per se, like a Dean Malenko type wrestler or something like that, he understands television, he understands demographics, and he actually taught me about the difference between independent wrestling and television wrestling and how to translate what I do really well on the independence into a television format long before I was even in TV. And I'm not the only person he's ever done that for either. So that was kind of my, my start. Why at 27 years old, had you always been a huge wrestling fan? Um, what, what didn't work out first? How did you end up walking into the wrestling business? All I ever wanted to do was be a wrestler. Um, I did not have a community growing up around me, um, encouraging me to do it. They were actually discouraging me from being involved, uh, for a variety of reasons. One, because they would hear about wrestlers getting hurt. Nobody wants their son or their nephew or something to, to get involved with something that, you know, they get hurt doing, um, they also saw that I had other talents and stuff like that, from, you know, communications wise, uh, blue collar stuff. I was also involved with like executive protection bodyguard work. Um, I was a director of nightlife security operations for a series of nightclubs and stuff like that. I had good work and they just didn't want me to disrupt something that I put a lot of time in and I was being advanced through uh, to just start something new and fresh. Um, and so I would just talk myself out of, you know, all the reasons why I shouldn't be going and doing this until eventually um, as a human being, I hit a wall and I was just like, you know, I have more money than I know what to do with from this. And it's not really making me happy or fulfilled. And I had that personal revelation that a lot of people have in life where you get to a comfortable point with money and you're like, 
I'm chasing this and this is not really what makes me happy. Like, what did I always want to do when I was a little kid? Like before a world, you know, tells you who to be before you can figure out who you actually are. And they put you on this course to have a job and do all this stuff. Like, what did I want to do? I want to be a wrestler. So one day I just opened up Google search and I looked up where the nearest professional wrestling academy was. And I went and it was FSW it was in Vegas. And I, the day I walked in and I saw the ring right in front of me, I said, this is going to be, this is going to take over my life. And it did. And then I finally really found that fulfillment that really you know, wasn't in any of my other work that I had. And I said, I think the money will come. I trust myself. I know when I'm obsessive with something and I love it and I put all my time and energy into it, it works out. I've seen it in other aspects of my life. If I do this wrestling, I'm going to be very happy. Um, and you're, you're like 6'5", 260. I imagine that helped open the doors that like when you walked in, you know, listen, I walk in to pursue my dreams at 27 years old. Uh, maybe they get a chance to get a microphone in my hand, but that's probably all. I'm, I'm guessing when you walked in, people thought, okay, this is something we can work with here. The promoter, his name was Joe DeFalco at the time. He was sitting down. He's already a short guy to begin with. Don't get hot, Joe. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he, when I walked in, he looked up with his brow like that, and then he went, oh, okay. <laughs> That's literally what he did. <laughs> and uh, he, he's like, uh, are you a wrestler? And I said, not yet. And he goes, okay. So he goes, future world champ here. And I said, don't work me. And he goes, oh, he knows the language too. And he goes, all right, guilty as charged. He goes, what can I do for you? So um, I had a good feeling right off the bat. Um, yeah, and, and obviously things have panned out pretty well. At what point in this journey did you meet your wife? I met her in Orlando three years ago, maybe now. And uh, we were both terrified of each other. <laughs> we we tried to stay away from each other. There was that I, I understand that on her. I understand that on her side. Wait, uh, hold hold on. Pause that story for one second. Dipperson, are you there? Yes, I am. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking to Karrion Cross right now, dude. Wow. What do you want to say to him? Because he's listening. To, yeah, he's listening to you as we speak. What do you want to say to Karen? <laughs> I'm scared of you. I'm, I'm terrified to even have a conversation. That's good. <laughs> uh, all right, Dip. I'll call you. I'll, I'll call you back. He's he's scaring me now. I'll call you back. I'm speechless. I'm speechless. I know. I know. That's why I wanted to put you on. This man is. This man loves him some carrying cross. All right. So why were you scared of Scarlet? I get Scarlet being a little intimidated by the monster that is Killer Cross, but what were you scared of? Never in my life. Okay, I know it say something here. I work nightclubs. I got a lot of attention in my 20s. I didn't really have to go fishing for it. You know what I mean? It's nighttime. Everyone's out having a good time, whatever. You know what I mean? You're the Never cool guy it. wearing all black, 6'5". I get it. You, you, you toss out some scumbag. The ladies look at you like a hero. I know what's going on. Right. <laughs> Never in my life have I ever been so attracted to somebody that it was intimidating. That, like, when you try to talk, you're like, <laughs> that happened for the first time in my life when I met her. And the funniest part about it is when I met her, she was in the process of potentially doing another character. She was wearing reading glasses and a black wig. She didn't even look like her. So when I met her, it was the eye contact. Right when we introduced ourselves to each other, something happened. To this day, I can't even explain. Um, and then later on that day, she was out of the wig. I didn't even know it was a wig. And I met her again. And it happened again. And when she walked away, I didn't realize I just met her twice. And I just thought, wow. And, and it hit you both times. 
yeah, I just, I like put my hand in my head and I was just like, I was like, I don't know what, I don't know what the hell's wrong with me. That's real weird. And I felt better about it later when I realized it was her. I was like, I just met two girls today that that just happened. Maybe something's wrong with me. I don't know. But it was the same person. I, she knows the story. We had a, a we laugh about it all the time, but that's never happened to me in my life. Um, and yeah, I, we, I, we just met each other working shows and for the longest time, for a few months, we just tried to stay as far away from each other as possible. The same thing was happening to her. She would try to talk to me and she would get tongue tied and stuff like that. And finally we were just out one night. We we're like, this is ridiculous. Like, let's just, I don't know. Let's just embrace this and see where it goes. We got to know each other. We became really close friends before we even started dating. I uh, realized we had a lot in common and then the things that we didn't have in common, we kind of learned about each other. I don't know, in certain ways, those opposites kind of attracted. Yeah. We were friends before we started dating. We just like really liked to spend time with each other. And yeah. um, Listen, I, I'm told you have, you have other obligations. You got to go to real last thing before we go. What can you tell us about the artwork behind you? Nothing. <laughs> Fair enough. I really like this stuff. I don't know. That's, it's actually Jack Nicholson over here. Oh. And um, that one just spoke to Scarlett and I when we saw it. We just looked at it. We just loved it. So. It feels it feels on brand. It feels on brand for you guys. Um, I, by the way, I feel bad. Like, do you ever have to, like, play it low when you're out with Scarlett in public? Like, Scarlett is obviously the kind of person who garners immediate attention. And I almost feel bad. Like, like if you're you, you can't get mad at everyone who checks out Scarlet. It's like it's too understandable for you to like get an attitude about it every time someone does a double take. So like, do you almost have to play the background a little bit so you don't scare the hell out of everyone on earth? I've never ever been an, uh, an insecure or jealous person. Even when I was a little kid, I could think back to like when I was at a baseball practice. Like when I was seven years old, we would hit the ball and we were trying to like time who could run all the bases the fastest. And as soon as I would hear that somebody ran the bases in 13 seconds, I wouldn't think, Oh, that just made it harder for me. Cause I wanted to get 11 or 12 seconds. I would just run harder. And then I'd eventually be the person who was the fastest person on the team who ran the bases. Like if someone else could do it, then I always felt like it was possible to do. And I, I don't know. I've always just kind of upped my game uh, for whatever it is that I was trying to do in order to get what I wanted. And, I'm just not a jealous person at all. So if anyone ever takes a look at her, I just kind of think to myself, like, I don't even actually know if I think anything. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, how could how could you? That's except you're winning in life. Um, hey dude, it's been a it's been an absolute pleasure. You have a ton of potential. I wanted to ask you more about all the people you want to face. We'll we'll do this again another time. But uh it was a pleasure catching up, man. Thank you, man. And you as well. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more.